All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, March 27th of 2023 here. Hope everybody had a good weekend here and are looking ahead to a fun week of DFS action. we got an eight-game NBA slate tipping off tonight. We have a six-game hockey slate as well, and uh, this is opening day. Uh, our opening day of MLB is indeed this week. Baseball is back this week. We have baseball. Uh, I don't know. First pitch on a, on Thursday here. It's an all day slate. So it should be a fun one. Uh, if anybody is interested in baseball specific uh, content or has baseball specific questions, we will be doing a special MLB stream on Wednesday of this week, one day before the MLB season gets started we also should have some mlb content out early this week uh be on the lookout for that should be an announcement in the discord but with that being said for those of you who are new here welcome my name is andrew one of the coaches over here at sabersim it's a show where we go over how to use the sabersim app answer any and all dfs related questions you can post questions live in the youtube chat or in the office hours channel in our Discord server, if you're not in our Discord, there's a link in the description below to get joined up, as well as a link to a seven-day, no-strings-attached free trial. No better time to check us out than ahead of MLB season. We do this show Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, get a trial started. Come on this show and get your questions about how to use SaberSim to the best of its abilities uh, to win money. Uh, and, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have in regards to that. But that being said, going to get... The app pulled up here. A uh, couple of questions in the Discord to get us going. But if anybody has any questions, now is always a great time to get those questions in. So uh, first question, there was a question from Studawood. I did respond to uh, Studawood in, in a thread. Uh, we were having an issue with like some actual scores loading up in the app earlier this morning. Uh, that is all all fixed now. So if you want to go back to yesterday and do anything with uh, previous slates, you should now be able to do that. And then a question here from K Mason, just a quick one here asked about an ETA on getting the underdog Twitter bot back in lineup alerts. So it, it, it went away when Twitter updated uh, some of its like API uh, stuff, which is, which is a little outside of my area of expertise there. Uh, and then we got it back and then now it is uh, not showing up again. So my understanding is it's a problem with like the bot we're using. So we are looking into it and trying to see if they are uh, going to have this fixed or if we're going to have to look elsewhere to get tweets loaded back into Discord. But uh, K Mason, we are, we are working on it and are aware of it and want to get that back in. But next question here from Eagles1985. Going to get this one in the chat here. Eagle said, what is a good number to set min uniques at for 20 max for MLB without any rules? I just want SaberSim to do its thing. Uh, yeah, so if you guys are not aware, we do have initial projections up in the app. Uh, can't promise that these are, these are final by any means here. You know, the projections aren't final, final until lineups come out, but you should if you go over to uh, Thursday's slate here, March 30th, and we should have initial projections up in the app here. It looks like we have ownership now too. So we did cover this last week and we did not have ownership up yet, but it looks like we have some initial point projections as well as initial ownership up in the app as we start to dial this all in ahead of uh, opening day this week. But let's come in here 
and let's run a build and let's see what things are looking like here. So I'm going to run exactly what you talked about. Uh, 20 max for MLB, no rules, just letting SaberSim do its thing. You know, going to keep my pool size 500 here. Uh, just going to make my two projection adjustments and then going to get this build going. But yeah, this is a, I believe this is the first build I've ran for, for MLB this season. So uh, going to be, going to be a fun one. But anyways, just letting the lineups build here. We're going to let the lineups load and then we can talk about it a little bit. Um, I don't remember if we had many uniques toward the end of MLB season last year or not. Uh, so, so it should be like, our, I know, I know it's the full, full like first season with M, with uh, mini uniques here for MLB. So, so the way, the way I like to tell, you know, a lot of people come in the show and they're like, Hey, you know, what's too many mini uniques? What's the right amount of mini uniques? Uh, you know, what, what should I set it up? Right. I really let my pool kind of guide me in figuring out what is too much and, and what is not enough. And, and, uh, or, or what, what is more? I mean, I don't think that, you know, there's ever like not enough. I think it's okay to leave it at one if you want to be really aggressive here. Uh, but, but what I do is I set this to about, you know, half or so of my lineup here. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players in an MLB lineup. So like right off the bat, I'll just set it to like five, which is about halfway, uh, half of every lineup in my pool will be different from one another. And then I like to go and see how far into my pool that takes me. So at five mini uniques, you know, I'm asking for 20 lineups. Uh, I'm only getting down to lineup 65 and I have 587 lineups in my pool. So I'm just over the top 10% of lineups in my pool and half of my lineup is unique. Uh, so I think that's great right off the bat you know, the diversity that you're getting with SaberSim naturally through some diversity is looking phenomenal here. So, you know, you can experiment with this. Uh, this is this is kind of the route I like to go. I've talked with uh, Jordan and, and Scott and other members of the team. And something that Jordan has suggested in some content that he's done is set your, basically set me uniques to the point where you essentially max it out. I mean, this is pretty crazy. So, uh, there's 10 players in a lineup. We can get 20 lineups in a pool of 587 that have eight out of 10 players different from every other lineup in the pool. I think that's, I think that's crazy. I think that's awesome. Uh, but just continuing on here. So, so we're, we're going to max out here. If we go to nine, uh, we're not going to be able to find 20 lineups. We, there's only 11 that have nine players different than every other lineup in the pool. So what Jordan has said is like, you know, max it out go one back uh he can he, he can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm almost positive he said you know max it out and then dial it one back or even dial it two back and then he would be happy with like a mini uniques of seven or possibly even eight here uh i think that's okay if you're treating every lineup in your pool as viable and you want to get it as unique and or you want to you know increase those mini uniques as high as you can go get as diverse as possible i think it's okay to use eight I would be more comfortable with something like seven here uh, just because you are only at lineup 282. So you are about, you know, halfway into your pool, but your mini uniques is seven out of 10 here. So, so I think that, you know, somewhere around uh, half of your pool is, is a safe place to go. I think that, you know, when, when you increase mini uniques so high that you start to just, get a lot of the lowest lineups in your pool. Like if this was lineup 587, this was 586, and this was 583, 
that's just because of the mini uniques. Otherwise, you would not be getting to all of those lineups here, right? So I think seven is a fine setting here. So, so I'd play around with this. I would uh, experiment in the app, you know, along with how far in your pool you're going. What do your stacks look like? You know, uh, what stacks do you have? Do you Are you getting to a lot of the stacks you want? Are you not getting to enough of the stacks that you want? You know, are we getting a lot of five stacks, a lot of four stacks? What does this all look like, right? So those are all... Uh, characteristics of your lineup portfolio that I would consider before determining what I want that final determination to be. So look at your stack types. So look at the type of stacks, uh, look at um, exposures, you know, maybe to like pitchers or something like that, like see what your lineups look like, see what your portfolio looks like, and then figure out uh, where exactly you want to dial this in, but no right answer here. A lot of different ways to use it. I think that this is going to be a great value add for this MLB season. All right. Great question there. Uh, that was our only like, uh, Oh, actually, no, I have one more question. So I have one more question in the discord. If anybody has any questions now is a great time to get them in, but this one came in from Bill's nut here. And Bill's net said with MLB starting back again, could you recommend the percent of my $2,000 bankroll I should play? And according to the current Saberson profit plan, which contests I should be playing and how much to put in each contest. Also, I prefer to play FanDuel or DK, not both, which site is better for MLB here. Okay. So we can talk about this a little bit. Uh, so if you have a $2,000 bankroll, right, as an example, and you are following the DFS profit plan, Profit plan says to play anywhere from 2.5% to uh, 5%, excuse me, uh, per per non-correlated slate, pretty much, right? So let's say, let's just say uh, you're only playing the main slate, right? So 2,000, 10% of that is 200. So 5% is $100 and 2.5% is $50. So you are going to be playing somewhere from $50 to $100 a day. And uh, it's then, then we have to go figure out, you know, how we want to allocate that, right? So the profit plan says to play about 25 to 50% of your uh, daily allocation in elevators, and then 50 to 75% in diversifiers, which, you know, diversifiers are 20 max, 150 max. So let's just use the 5% number here. Uh, 5% is like on the more aggressive side, but $100 is easier to do math with, right? So we have $100 here that we want to use. And we're just going to say that we're going to play the main slate here, right? So then I'm going to do 25 to 50% or 25 to $50 on the single entries and three maxes, and then 50 to $75 on my diversifiers, right? So I think that there are plenty of good contests in I, I would say both lobbies here really I think that the DraftKings lobby is always really good so you know you have your quarter jukebox you have your dime times you have your one dollar 20 max uh I believe they have a um they have some type of mini max in the lower stakes but you can even skip that one right maybe maybe you play like the quarter you play the one dollar 20 max so that's $25. And then let's say you take the other remaining uh, $25 to $50 for your diversifiers and then go and put like 10 entries in the $4.20 max, for example, right? That's a big contest. It is over the $3 threshold. 
Uh, but ultimately, you know, in, in, in our back testing that we've done in previous seasons, we have thought that that is generally a good contest. So maybe you want to play the $4, put like 10 entries in that, or maybe you want to go and try out the mini max. And then with uh, some of that money, put like 50 to a hundred entries. If it's a 50 cent mini max, which I'm actually not sure about. So don't have the lobby pulled up at the moment, but those are the decisions I would be trying to make. I think that is like a good baseline to start with. And then go and see what they offer. Do they offer a $1 single entry, a $1 three max, a $2 single entry, a $3 three max, a $4 single, a $5 single, et cetera, and then try and fill up that money. But those are the type of contests I would be looking to play. And, uh, you know, I think I think both sites at that dollar range, you could find enough good contests to fill up your main slate uh, contest selection for, for any given day for MLB. But check it out. I think it is totally okay to only play one site. Uh, just gives you a little more to manage, a little easier to manage overall. All right. Uh, question here in the chat from Franklin McBride. Uh, Franklin said, any good lineup rules for MLB? So I, I would say that, you know, you probably can never go wrong with a uh, with a stack rule. I kind of like the way Scott does it, right? So I'm somebody who's a little more familiar with MLB than something like NHL. So Scott, being such a uh, very sharp NHL player, knows what he's looking for, knows what he kind of wants his lineups to look like. So what he does, he just kind of guides the builder with a very small uh, correlation-based stack, stacking rule. And uh, I think that you could probably do something very similar for MLB here. So I, I don't think you're ever going to go wrong with saying stack at least three players from the same team in my lineup. I think that a three-stack is, you know, you're not forcing a four stack, you're not forcing a five stack, but you are saying that I do not want to play a lineup that is basically like a like a two, 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 or something like that. I think that, you know, uh, baseball being so high correlation here, I think that you can always be fine with playing a three stack. And I think that this is generally a safe rule to start with. So maybe you have like a three stack rule here. Uh, something that I've talked about is if you are setting this type of rule here, uh, correlation is always is already super high here. I mean, it's at 10. It's, it, it cannot go any higher, right? So let's actually just turn this rule off. I'm, I'm kind of interested in this now. Let's go back to the build that we ran at the beginning of the show without a stack rule. And let's see what kind of stacks we are getting here. So, I mean, right off the bat here, you know, out of the 20 lineups that we do have, uh, let's turn many uniques off, actually. So let's put many uniques back to one here. We'll go back to the top 20 lineups. Uh, we don't even have anything less than a four stack. So five stack, five stack, five stack, four stack. If we go and look in our pool of generated lineups, uh, there's only like a handful of three stacks anyways here. So uh, not sure like how important that rule would be, but you know, I was just trying to think of a rule that is like a general baseline rule that, that wouldn't hurt you ever in that scenario. So maybe something uh, something else that we've talked about here is a rule to only include a player in your lineups with a uh that that has a uh i'm sorry let me let me rephrase that so if a player has a low home run expectation only play that player in a stack and do not play that player as a one-off so we use that as a demo last week here so what you would do is you would use an if then rule so rule type group selection method automatic and then you would say if at least one player and then you're going to group by team here. And then you're going to say where home runs are less than, we'll say 0.1. So that's 10% chance here. 
Ben use at least, and we'll say we'll say three players. So we'll, so we'll make it a four stack. So then then use at least three players on the same team. And then I'm going to say this as a manual rule, which I accidentally did not do here. So I'm going to say this as a manual rule. So there are 21 players on this 11 game slate that meet this rule basically here. So if I go to Pittsburgh, so what the rule is going to do is if at least one player, which that one player would be Cabrian Hayes is used, then use at least three players from the same team. So what I'm saying, if I go over to uh, Pittsburgh here, which, and I go to keep Brian Hayes right here in the five slot. So his home run expectation is 0.08. So what I'm saying is like, hey, you know, a lot of times one-off players, they're going to get there from a, a home run. They're going to be a power hitter. They're going to get that one at bat, that one swing that gets them all their points for the game. If a player is, that's not their profile, that's not their style. They're going to need to score points from, from runs, from RBIs, from a team environment. That's how baseball is scored. So for players who with a very low home run expectation, I only want to play them if they're in a stack. I think that rule has a lot of sound uh, logic to it and is a good rule of thumb to use as like a baseline. So if you're looking for like some type of baseline rule to use for MLB here, uh, I think this rule is great. So I, I would start with that one. And then if you are stacking and not seeing enough stacks, then maybe add in a, a minor stack rule, but it didn't look like that was needed at all here. All right. Question from Neil. I think in the past it's been suggested to play the $4, 20 max, even if it's over the 25 K price pool over the $1 mini max, wondering what makes the $4 contest $4, 20 max, a better contest. Uh, yeah. So, so that, that does sound correct here. Uh, that is what Eric found in our behind the Sims uh, contest back testing that he went over or went through it's a whole entire behind the sims series you can find that over on our youtube channel on the behind the sims playlist there uh but my understanding is that you know uh the the four dollar 20 max is sometimes even more entrance than the one dollar 150 max so you have more unique entrance you have less entries that sharp players can take uh like like the percentage of the field that they can play is essentially smaller, right? So if you have, let's use a, uh, you have a $15,000 entry, I'm sorry, not $15,000, 15,000 entrance contest. So 15,000 uh, entries in the contest, it's a 150 max, right? So that means it would take 100 players to max that out. If, if you had 100, 150 maxers, they could do that. So you could have only 100 unique players, but 15,000, entries uh you do the same thing the same number of entrants for uh 20 max now you need uh 75 750 unique entrants i'm almost positive of that right so we went from 100 unique entrants to 750 unique entrants to max out that same number of entrance contests so i think that that has a lot to do with it uh even though the contest is under the $3 threshold, under the 25K prize pool, uh, that contest can still be very sharp if there are only a certain number of unique users needed to max it out. But at something where it's 750 unique entrants, I think that contest is going to be a little softer overall. Uh, the payouts might be better. The payout structure might be better. So I think in general, uh, that is what they found in the back testing. Kind of uh, 
what's the word, paraphrasing here or, or making some assumptions. So if you're interested in learning more about uh, what was exactly found, I would check out some of that uh, content over on our channel. All right, Franklin said, how about pitchers or are we just targeting the ones with low ERAs? Is there a rule for pitchers too? Uh, so I wouldn't say there are any, you know, general uh, sound rules about pitchers. I think that pitchers are very normally distributed in general here. So what we see when we pull up distribution, this distribution for Arenola is that it's it's very like bell curve shaped, uh, you know, not perfect, but but much closer than somebody who is not a pitcher, right? So let's go over to a batter. So we just saw Aaron Nola's distribution. Let's pull up Rafael Devers here. Uh, this would be like what is called a right skewed uh, histogram here where a lot of his outcomes are in this lower percentage here. I mean, this is 44% of his outcomes are probably like five, five points or less here. And then you have this big tail to the right where, you know, he has these huge 1% outlier outcomes and the 30 point plus range that essentially shift his mean, right? But if you were to like, look at the median of this, which would be like his, his 50th percentile here. So, so half of his outcomes are above seven points and half of his outcomes are below seven points, but his mean is much higher here at 8.84. That's like, you know, a 20, 5% increase higher than his median here. Uh, so this is what we are essentially trying to capture uh, with adjusted ownership, right? So I think that, you know, this is a great case for adjusted ownership. Uh, when Matt was initially introducing this concept of adjusted ownership, uh, he used baseball pitchers versus baseball batters as an example here. So because this player's, range of outcomes are so variant. They're not normally distributed. It doesn't look like this nice bell curve where the mean is actually one of his highest outcomes. Uh, in this case, the mean is, is not one of his highest outcomes. His highest outcomes are actually much lower than that. So that makes him a much more risky play. That means that um, the times that he's going to get that are, are not as likely as the mean point projection would imply here. That's, that's, what we're trying to capture with adjusted ownership, adjusted ownership is uh, what we are doing is we are basically, we, we created this inflated or deflated ownership metric based on how wide a player's range of outcomes actually is. And what we are trying to say is that, Hey, if this player's range of outcomes is much wider than uh than what you would expect here, or it's it's much less likely that he gets his mean. We want to uh, hurt that player in the post-build lineup grading process. So we're going to have this higher inflated adjusted ownership where it looks higher, but all we're trying to say is like, hey, when you're grading lineups, be aware that this player is actually much more variant than they seem. And then that is our way of telling the builder that. So you still get some lineups with them, but you know, we're not just like jamming in this play, like, like, wow, he is always going to get to this number. Right. So um, that, that is, you know, a breakdown of what adjusted ownership is. I it's, it's a tough concept to, to kind of grasp it. I definitely had to have conversations behind the scenes with team members and listen to the content through a couple times there. So uh, if, if 
if you guys have questions about it, I'm more than happy to try and break this down further. I think hockey is a great example of this as well. You'll see players that have much higher adjusted ownerships than regular ownerships here. Like Evan Bouchard is a great example here. His adjusted ownership is 58.81 and his regular ownership is projected at 41%. So what we're saying is that, Hey, this guy's probably really variant. Uh, be careful not, not to just treat him as a smash play and, and jam him into all the lineups, understand that his range of outcomes is pretty wide here. And we need to take that into account. So that's what adjusted ownership is doing. Uh, you could jump between sports. I think if you were to look at like NHL, uh, NBA will have much lower adjusted ownerships. Players are going to reach that number much more often, uh, which, which you can see these numbers uh, usually being lower for like, even like the top owned guys makes just kind of tells you that they're a much more reliable play in general there, uh, but bounce around from sport, try and get an understanding of it. Listen through the content a couple times and try and wrap your head around some of those contents or uh, concepts. All right. Uh, Going to stick with this one from Neil really quickly here. So Neil followed up with saying, so the 50 cent mini max for opening day has 23 K entrance. The $1 mini max has 47 K entrance is the 50 cent mini max. Not as good of a contest because there is less unique entrance. Yes, Neil, that is a great example in understanding. Like if I had to choose between the 50 cent mini max and the $1, I would for sure put more entries in the $1 uh, than the 50 cent, right? So a lot of times users, uh, like, like sharp users, users with that have grown their bankroll over time are probably going to be playing both of these contests. And, you know, they're gonna be dropping 150 in the, in the 50 cent and then dropping 150 in the $1, uh, that 50 cent is going to fill up much faster, right? It's going to need more, more users to play that $1 mini max where there's 47 K entrance. So if I had to choose between the two, I would lean more towards the $1 mini max as probably a uh, better contest, probably a little softer overall. All right, jumping back to Uncrabby Cabby's question. Uh, hey, Andrew, with that rule, then adding uniques, what kind of gaps within the stacks are you getting? And will that possibly lower the EV of the stack? Uh, so I'm assuming we're talking about this rule where we said, you know, uh, only include a player in a lineup if they're in a stack and they have a low home run expectation here. Uh, I, I don't know of any, uh, like, you know, what kind of gaps within the stack are you getting? Are you talking about, you know, player position, like, uh, like batting order and lineups? Um, frankly, I think that that's kind of a trap in, in general here. Like, oh, you know, you got to stack at least like three players from the top five positions in the order here. Like, I don't, I don't love that rule in general here. Uh, I think there's actually a lot of leverage from stacking guys lower in the lineup, especially like uh, on chalky teams. So let me just scroll through here. Who's like the highest implied team total? Looks like Atlanta. So let's go over to Atlanta batters here and then let's sort by batting order. Uh, okay, we're going to sort descending here because it's showing up this way. So top of the order here, 14%, 11%, 14%, 11%, 7%, 10%. So in the top six batting order positions here, there are five out of the six with over 10% ownership here. And then the bottom three guys are all below like seven or less here. Uh, if, if you know, it, it takes, it takes, it really does take all nine guys to, 
to to score to win like there are plenty of times where these bottom of the order guys still do very good and one i mean right off the bat you know they're all priced under 3k and they're all less than eight percent ownership here uh if 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 you know the the braves are the stack that everybody's gonna flock to the the best thing that you could do is find a way to play that stack differently than everyone else's so you know I, I love the idea of mixing in lower batting order guys here. Uh, if if these guys get on and then they turn it over to the top of the lineup and then the top of the lineup does their thing, that those are uh, walks, those are hits, possibly stolen bases, those are runs scored. Uh, there there are plenty of ways for all of these guys to to score runs together. And I would I think it's a mistake to leave out the bottom of the order guys because that is probably where you can find the best leverage and get different by also playing some of the best stacks. Uh, and Krabby Cabby did say yes, gaps between the batting order. Uh, we can go look. So I haven't actually run a build with this yet, but I'm going to I'm gonna leave this rule active. And then we'll go and see what some of these Pittsburgh stacks look like as an example here. So actually, fat fingered that, missed the build button. Uh, let me go home. Rule is active. I have already made two changes. We're just going to run 20 lineups here and see what it looks like. Uh, just quick comment from me. I'd say stacking in MLB is more about maximizing plate appearances than worry about gaps in the batting order. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if if you think about it from, from maximizing plate appearances, then essentially what you'd be doing is, is playing all the guys toward the top of the lineup because every time somebody gets an at-bat that's another at-bat for somebody at the top. So I think that, you know, maximizing at-bats is important, right? The more opportunities these guys get, uh, the the better chance they have of getting points. Uh, but I just I just think that it is a mistake to leave out the bottom half of the, of the lineups in general because uh, plenty of times those guys are going to perform in, in a high-scoring game where uh, the entire lineup is is getting around. But, but okay, so let's go ahead and look at Pittsburgh because – that was the example that we were using here. So there are total 24 Pittsburgh stacks overall. So, uh, you know, this this rule was applied to 21 of the 22 teams here. So 21 teams had at least one player where that rule was active. But I'm just going to filter for Pittsburgh here. And then I'm also going to filter uh, for Cabrian Hayes and then see if we have anything right here. Okay, so... Out of the 24 Pittsburgh lineups, there are 18 that do indeed have Hayes over in our pool. If you were to look at these, uh, we have a four stack, which is a four, five, six, nine stack. We have a four, five, six, eight stack. We have a four, a two, three, four, five stack. So, so all of these are like pretty, pretty close here. Five, six, two, five, six, seven. So a lot of correlation happening, uh, uh, closely, I would say, between these players. I wonder who he's like mostly correlated to. O'Neill Cruz, G-Man Choi, uh, Sawinski, McCutcheon, Rodolfo Castro. I mean, like, like this are, these are five players here, all within a 0.04 correlation positively. Uh, you know, you should be comfortable playing like a lot of these guys together, right? So I do wish, I do wish we had a batting position or batting order in this chart. Like if we could pull that in, because you kind of have to like see what the correlations are, go back here, see what the correlations are, go back here. But but ultimately we're getting uh, players that are very uh, close in the batting order 
with with some exceptions here. So I, I'm not seeing anything weird coming from that stack. It all kind of makes sense to me here. Uh, if we were to just pull this up, I'm just going to do this quickly here. So I have the batting order. I'm just going to take a quick screenshot of this and then pull this up on my other screen here and then kind of walk you guys through this. So Cabrian Hayes, uh, fifth here. O'Neill Cruz is his highest correlation at 0.16, and O'Neill Cruz is sixth in the batting order. G-Man Choi is fourth in the batting order. Sawinski is seventh. McCutcheon is third. Rodolfo Castro is eighth. Carlos Santana is first. So, so what we're seeing is like the correlations are like uh, one up, one down, one one up, one down, and like they're they're kind of moving away from him. Think about it like absolute value, right? So like one batter position away, two batter positions away in either direction. Uh, this is just one example. I, I don't know if this is always going to hold true, but it does make sense, right? So if I were to think about this, uh, it'd be mostly correlated to the batters directly next to him, up or down, depending, you know, if the guy got on or if he got on and then somebody hit him in or something like that. So what I'm seeing makes sense. Uh, we are still, you know, using the correlation values, especially when sim when correlation is at 10 here. So everything's kind of checking out, passing the eye test for me, but happy to walk through these examples and see if we see anything funny along the way. Uh, okay. Uh, really quickly here, uh, some more conversation going down uh, back and forth here. Happy to talk about that, but just quick question from Patrick. Patrick said, will you guys make an MLB process video like with NBA and NFL? So yes, we will have some content out this week, probably prior to Wednesday, uh, directly related to baseball. So I know the team is hard at work on that uh, starting today and hopefully should have something out soon. Okay. Uh, Going to stick with Neil here really quickly. I'll get back to Ryan. Um Neil said, not necessarily. The guys in the 8-9 hole, for example, are often cheaper. And if a team has a big game, they might get 5-6 to six at bats. Um, Josh said, the 9-hitter rarely gets 5-6 at bats, even if the team goes off. Uh, Josh said, maybe the 8th can get 5. And then Neil said, sure, if you look at average outcomes, they aren't 5-6 to six at bats. I disagree they can't get 5-6 to six when a team blows up. Uh Franklin also said, should we max out the correlation slider in MLB? So, so Franklin, I would let uh, the builder kind of determine this for you at an 11 game slate. Uh, it is maxed out. I, I think that would, you know, change if this was like a, like a four game slate or something like that might come down a little bit. Uh, going to um, possibly change, but we've done a lot of back testing on the sliders. We've made adjustments to the sliders just recently with getting rid of ownership fade. So I don't, I don't think you need to do anything with that. We understand how important correlation is in baseball. And then with the example that we just did with Cabrian Hayes, I think that, you know, uh, we, we are capturing batting order correlations very, very well in the app there. All right. Ryan said, Yahoo allows you to play six players from the same team, going to get lots of Yankees and Braves mega stacks over there. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is pretty crazy that, that you could play six, six players from the same team. I don't know like uh, uh, where the strategy kind of like falls off. You know, if you're stacking so many players from a team, do they have to score like 20 runs for, <laughs> for all of them to get there? That, that would be an interesting experiment. And I, I don't think that's something we've dug into uh, at, at this time, but, but just some interesting ideas there. And uh, you know, we, we do have, if I were to look here, 
getting back to Josh and Neil, uh, we do have like average plate appearances here. So if, if we were to stick with our example here for Pittsburgh, uh, we are sorted by order descending here. I'm just going to pull in the plate appearances over. So we're going to grab this, drag it over here. So, um, you know, on, on average, this is like a, uh, what you would expect. The highest order has the most plate appearances and then this uh, falls. It looks like pretty consistently about like a 10th of, of a plate appearance in every lineup position here. Um, it, it does make some sense to me here. If like, you know, one guy gets on, that's one ninth of an extra plate appearance for every other guy in the lineup. And so you would need, you know, nine guys to get on for everybody to have four plate appearances. Uh, so I could, I could see how, how this uh, closely mirrors that. So, you know, it just, it, it, it really depends on two things. Uh, you know, one, how many runners the guys get on base. And then two, I think that's something that probably comes into a, account a little bit is uh, away team versus home team. You know, if home team is winning, then that is uh, three additional outs that go away for the home team. So if you, if, if you were to look at like Atlanta, right? Atlanta is a favorite over Washington, a uh, high implied total. And, but they are the away team, right? So they're probably going to get all, all, I mean, it's not probably, they are going to get all 27 outs here, as opposed to if they were a big favorite at home, might lose some plate appearances there on the home side if, if they were the home team. But um, I, I, I do think that, you know, uh, just, just getting back to my point, consider all players in the batting order, and uh, don't don't leave anything out. All right. Uh, question from Patrick. You like one pitcher FanDuel or two pitchers DK? Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's um. I I think that players on FanDuel users will play the chalky pitcher a lot more on FanDuel. So you know if if you have um, Max Scherzer on the slate with with a couple of other uh, guys that, that are close, say in salary, but not as close. Uh, I think people are just going to jam Scherzer, you know? Uh, so, so you will see ownerships of stud pitchers get inflated on Fandle. In, in my opinion, from what I've seen, uh, we we've already exemplified how pitchers are like fairly normally distributed. I think a lot of people will say that, oh, you know, the stud pitcher, uh, they're going to get there more often than not. Uh, could lead to some possible like leverage spots, but usually like that, that logic is sound, but doesn't mean they always get there. Right. So I think that uh, on DK, you could get a little more creative. It's a little more game theory playing two pitchers and figuring out how you want to go about that and uh, where you want to spend your salary. But as far as uh, preference, I say, I'd say DK is a little more of a uh, intuitive game that you got to play. And I think that a lot of people just kind of jam the best pitcher on FanDuel, which which makes a lot of sense. Uh, question from Uncrabby Cow. He said, what's worse, late season NBA or early season MLB? Gosh, I think it, late season NBA is worse. I mean, if you guys uh, follow along with like DFS Twitter, uh, Travis Petty did a stream on Friday, and he said that he's basically uh, done with NBA for the season aside from the Millie on, on Wednesday, uh, just season gets super crazy. You know, teams are tanking, uh, rotations are changing, you know, it's not the norm. So 
late season ML late season NBA is, is really hard. If, if you're uh, doing any type of like qualitative analysis, trying to add value and uh, you just, you just don't know what, what incentives the teams have to play. Are they, are they trying to get a lottery spot? Uh, what, what is going on? So I think late season NBA is pretty hard. I think early season MLB is always fun. Uh, you know, you, you, you do get the public interest. You do get some softer money as opposed to mid season, late season. So the contests are bigger. So, so enjoy early season MLB and try and get an edge where you can. Patrick said, do we have any clarification on late swap FanDuel still doing late swap for uh, postponement games? So I, I actually have no idea. I would read through like the terms and services of a contest. So if you go to like contest details, you could go to their terms and service. They should have a section uh, directly explaining postponements and late swap. Uh, or it might be two different sections. I would just read through those and see if you can get some clarification by doing that. All right. Uh, one more question here in the Discord from JDS Dog. Uh, JDS Dog said, How many simulations does SaberSim run for a slate? Is it 5,000? Um, to be honest, I don't know the exact number. Um, it's, it's somewhere. In like the five to ten k range, and then um, it looks like Shady just commented on it. Shady said, "I think it's a few thousand per game, but then if there are multiple games in the slate, those are combined independently by the builder, so the possible slate combinations are effect are effectively infinite." Yeah, so uh, I could get some co- some some clarification on this. Uh, how many sims? I'm gonna say like per game slash slate per game slash per slate so i i i believe that we we are like simming each individual game like thousands and thousands of times and then you know when we go into build your lineups we are pulling from those sims so like like he said like shady said you know the the possible combinations are exponential like huge infinite numbers because if you have you know five thousand sims of this game and five thousand sims of that game and five thousand sims of this game and then when you are uh Pulling from those sims, like the combinations are extremely, extremely wide and and probably in like the trillions, uh, if I had to guess, but I can get some clarification on that in general. All right, Patrick said, can't wait for the consumers uh, to get tired of MLB and wanting NBA to start back up ASAP. I am I, going to miss NBA season myself. Uh, Neil said, I feel like early season MLB is great. The dead money dries up quicker, it seems though. Yeah, I'd say like, you know, the the... The uh, public money probably stays around, I would say, through, like, Memorial Day. Uh, so I'd say, like, you know, through May, uh, I would say around June, the the public interest starts to die down a little bit there, unfortunately. But I think that, you know, you could get some edge in the first couple months of NBA, MLB season, and then, uh, and then it's going to be all the grinders left throughout the uh, summer months there. But good questions everybody i uh, appreciate everybody tuning in we had a lot of live interaction here uh, appreciate you all asking questions keeping the show going i'm going to follow up on this how many sims per game slash slate question for from jds dog and answer that one at the beginning of tomorrow's show but if anybody is building lineups throughout the day question pops in their mind drop it in the office hours channel let it sit there and we will get back to it on the next show it gives us a steady queue of questions to get rolling but until then Good luck in your contest, everybody. Take care, and I will see you. Bye.